God in the city light? Where is God in the earthquake? Where is God in the genocide? Where are you in my broken heart? Everything seems to fall apart. Everything feels rusted over. Tell me that you're there. I know there's a meaning to it all. A little resurrection every time I fall. You got your babies, I got my hearses. Every blessing comes with a set of curses. I got my vices, got my vice verses. I got my vice verses. Shadows, a concrete girl, they rock your world to nothing, and they're swimming around again, again, and they're swimming around the concrete. If you would make your way back to your seats. It is uh, good to have you here this morning. There are a lot of faces back from break, and it is, uh, it's good to see you. It's good to uh, be able to catch up a little bit in between uh, song sets. I want to make a couple announcements, and uh, then we're going to welcome back a uh, couple and our family that's back in town, and I'll explain what that means here in a moment. Uh, but we, just so that you don't forget, starting tonight, there's going to be another church in here on Sunday nights, and uh, that's there's been a lot of things we've been like cleaning out and getting sorted, and so there's a huge lost and found pile over on the windowsill, which is where we keep it. I don't know why, but uh, it is, and so it is there. This is the last call, meaning look at it. If none of that stuff is your stuff, great. It will be donated to Global Neighborhood this week. If, uh, if it is yours, take it with you, and, uh, and if you're just in a donating mood, don't even go look, okay? Uh, so, that's uh, the, the uh, big announcement. 
Uh, Jeremy and Janelle are back. Where are they? Right there. Back from Africa. Let's have them come forward right now. Some of you don't know Jeremy and Janelle, but they uh, have been members of this community for a long time. And uh, as they were serving in this community, they felt compelled to leave and go and to uh, serve in another part of the world. And uh, they are back. I'm just going to hand it over to them. They're going to give like literally a two-minute update. They're going to have another time where they're going to give us more details and uh, talk about um, just their ministry and the way that God's been moving in them. So let me hand it over now. Yeah, it's good to be back. Wow. Um, New Community has been our home church for quite some time. And uh, this is surreal to actually be back. We've been gone for three years. We've been in Tanzania, a rural, uh, living in a rural village there. And um, excited to share more details about what the Lord is doing there. Um, and just right now, just want to say thank you to all of um, all the ways that New Community has supported us, all of you that have prayed for us. Um, convinced that uh, anything that has happened over there for the kingdom of God is through your prayers. Um, we're excited to share more about that. And um, excited to be back, excited to reconnect with many of you. And <laughs> it's just amazing to be back in the land of plenty. I went into Lowe's the other day with my dad, <laughs> and there's like 40 different kinds of toilets that you can buy, <laughs> and we haven't had a toilet for three years, and it's, it's pretty good. Oh. We'll end on that note. Um, but they have already been sharing amazing stories. If you're not a part of their newsletter, I'm sure they would love to get you on, on the chain and you could read about the ways God's been moving. But uh, just incredible stories of miracles, people having dreams and coming to know Jesus. And uh, this is a, a group they went to that really had no um, understanding of the gospel at all, an indigenous people group, and uh, learning the language and then ministering and uh, just some amazing and beautiful things. So I want to just pray over them and their time back. They're going to be in and out over the next uh, little while uh, visiting with churches and, and people. Um, but I'm, I'm excited for them to share in the coming days. And, and the transition uh, back is something I think we should be praying for. So let's pray. God, we uh, know that uh, you have called all of us to mission. That you have invited each and every one of us to be a part of advancing the kingdom by making disciples and uh, being involved in the lives of people. And yet you called this couple, this family, uh, to go to another part of the world and do that very same thing. And uh, we are so grateful for the ways that you've moved in their life, the protection that you've provided them, uh, the ways that you healed them from different diseases and sicknesses, uh, the way that you uh, have allowed them to raise their boys in another context. And uh, God, we are grateful that they are also home now, that they have uh, a season of being able to recover, uh, to interact with supporting churches and, and people that have been uh, so supportive financially as well as prayerfully. And God, I just ask that this transition back uh, would be as smooth as possible. Uh, that you would uh, emotionally allow them to recharge, that you would spiritually uh, just 
breathe new life into them, that you would encourage them, that you would uh, continue to heal them from things that they um, uh, just give them energy back and, uh, and help them in recovery from sickness. Uh, God, we ask that uh, their boys uh, would just be loved on by grandma and grandpa and uh, that uh, friends and family can surround them. Uh, and God, as they uh, share stories of how you moved, may you give them uh, just a, an even ever-growing desire to continue uh, this ministry and this work and that you might call them back uh, to be used by you. So God, bless them, keep them, watch over them during this season. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me uh, read one passage here. We are going to go back into a little uh, time of worship. And uh, when we do that, we're going to invite you to communion. I just want to read this section out of Luke. Jesus is with his disciples, and it says, When the hour came, he reclined at the table and his apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and we had given thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We have an opportunity uh, in these next few moments as we continue to worship uh, to, to reflect on that, to do as it says, to do this in remembrance of him, to take of the elements and to be reminded that it's his body broken, it's his blood shed. But I think the unique thing about that particular passage, there are different accounts of this same story, right, the same moment in time. And uh, the thing that stands out to me about that particular account is the statement that Jesus makes a couple times. probably heard it where he said, I will not do this again until I'm with you, right? that all of us are anticipating this moment in time when we will be able to drink of the vine with Jesus. That we'll be able to sit around a table, be able to break bread together, uh, to celebrate and to be a part of all that he has imagined for his children. And so this is an opportunity for us to reflect on that. Let me pray, and uh, we'll invite the worship team back up. Father, we... Uh, are grateful for your movement in our lives. Uh, we're thank you, thankful that you brought the Morrises back. Uh, we're excited to be able to see them and to spend time uh, hearing stories of how you've moved in another part of the world. But God, we also want to share stories of how you're moving here. We pray that uh, in the coming months that you might open our eyes to ways in which you're moving might you encourage us to be bold with our faith. Might you enable us to speak words of encouragement and, and even prophecy over other people. Words that uh, inspire others to live a more profound life for you. But God, all of it is only possible and all of it only matters because of your son and his sacrifice. And so God, as we take 
communion this morning, may we be reminded that it is your good grace to us, your gift. And may we offer thanks back to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
fire burning in his eyes His desire is for me His desire is for me This is love so sweet Right in front of me All around I hear you sing This is love so strong Right where I belong I am yours and you are mine and I love the way you came to me So sweet you sent your only son for me So sweet I love the way you love me So sweet a jealous God my God is a jealous God my God is a jealous God his desire is for me his desire is for me this is love so sweet right in front of me all your only son for me so sweet I love the way you love me so sweet I love the way you came to me so sweet you sent your only son to me so sweet
Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, everybody. As we kind of uh, get the stage all organized, if you guys want to turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John, just the first chapter. Thanks. 
All right, how's everybody doing today? Good? We're here? We're ready? All right. Uh, Let me begin. I want to actually begin by reading a quote. Uh, So Russ shared a little bit last week uh, kind of about where we're going for uh, the foreseeable future, looking at the idea of the incarnation and uh, trying to really get at what was happening in that and why is that important for us. And so uh, as I have been doing a little bit of study for uh, this morning, I found this quote, and this is kind of one of those uh, quotes that has just kind of resonated with me quite a bit over the past, uh, the past week or two. So let me read it. It's from Dallas Willard, and he says this. The incarnation is about seeing the greatness of Jesus. The little baby is just the beginning of the incarnation. It is a cosmic event that touches the whole universe. Incarnation is about Christ coming into the world of matter, flesh matter, and bringing a wonderful, ravishing reconciliation. So that's kind of our our guiding quote this morning, or uh, something that has brought me encouragement, something that has uh, really spoken to my soul. The Incarnation is the cosmic event that is shaping our message for the following months. Uh, Honestly, we don't know how long we're going to talk about it. We've scheduled out the next few months, uh, but this is one of those things, the digger, or the, uh, the deeper that you dig into this, the more you realize, man, there is so much to talk about. There are so many ways that we could go. So we'll be talking about the Incarnation, its impact, its ramifications, and its effects on our lives. So this word Incarnation... Is something, uh, maybe even a term, that I feel like we throw around a lot, especially coming out of the Advent season. That idea of Advent is really all shaped around Jesus coming, the Incarnation. And so it's this kind of big theological term that we throw around a lot. And we say things like, He was fully man and fully God. Or He is God with us. Or I've even heard it said, He was God put in a bod before. (laughs) But do we really know what these things mean. Can we really say, well, this is why it's important? The incarnation, like many core tenets of the Christian faith, is interesting in that it's this incredibly cosmic event that we sometimes just talk about flippantly without fully appreciating its true importance and meaning. And yet, I would argue Without an understanding of the Incarnation, the entire story ceases to make sense. Without understanding, the entire story ceases to make sense. Interestingly, the early church wasn't even in agreement about the nature of Christ's coming. The church was divided both on the concept and the veracity of the Incarnation, and it took years and years and years and years to finally find agreement and establish doctrine around the idea. And now, hundreds of years later, this theological concept, which was once shrouded in disagreement, is something that many of us accept without really thinking about its importance. I would argue we do this because we tend to skip over the what of the incarnation to get to how it applies to our lives. And this can lead us to problems. So I titled uh, this message, uh, as I prepare for a talk, both Russ and I do this, uh, many people who uh, preach regularly do this, they probably give their message a title, and uh, my title for this message was, How Legos Can Help Us Understand the Incarnation. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you guys have heard me uh, talk about my three boys, uh, that we have three, my wife and I have three boys, uh, 
seven-year-olds, a twin seven-year-olds, and then a five-year-old. And uh, I would say in the last three years, I actually, I didn't spend a ton of time uh, actually calculating the amount of time, but uh, just thinking about in my daily interaction, percentage of my life that goes specifically to Legos is probably 10 to 15% of my entire life. Which maybe doesn't sound like a lot, but when you think about 10 to 15% of a human's life having to deal with Legos, that's a lot. So this is uh, time spent building Legos, uh, time talking uh, with my boys about Legos, uh, time cleaning up Legos, which are strewn about the entirety of our house. Our neighbors actually just recently brought over Legos that were at their house of ours. Uh, time fixing broken Legos. Uh, it's, it's a lot. I mean, it is a lot of time. It is, it is kind of the central thing that we are about at the Longmire house right now. Hopefully, that's not the central thing. There are other things that we're about, too. But Legos are very important. Uh, for Christmas and birthdays, uh, and, and then anytime there's a possibility of a gift being exchanged, we are talking about Legos. And over the last years, a uh, couple years, our boys have become relatively proficient at building Lego sets. So they get a new Lego set for Christmas, and um, they're kind of on their way now. Uh, I need to maybe help open the box, but from then on, they know exactly how to go about putting it together. But when we first got Legos, it was an absolute disaster. If we left them to their own devices, they would somehow, they'd ask me, I'd open the box, and then uh, if you've not seen a Lego uh, box recently, there are multiple different pouches, and you open the different pouch at different times during the directions, but they would open them all at the same time, kind of strew them out around the floor, and then just try to start building stuff. Inevitably, pieces are lost, and then the set never works, and I come in, and then I'm an incredibly frustrated father trying to find pieces and build this set because they want it to look exactly as it it looks on the box, and it just never happens. So uh, it was kind of a disaster for a little while. You won't get too far at building a Lego set if you just look at the finished product on the outside of the box. It's too complicated. You can't just look at the picture on the box and start building the Lego set. There is an order to how things need to be done. We had to teach the boys that you first open only the first pouch. And then you sort the Legos by color because that helps you to keep them organized. And then you begin following the directions step by step, checking each step to make sure that you get every piece in its appropriate place. Saying things like, take your time. Be patient. You have to build from the bottom up. You have to build from the inside out. When we skip the question of what it is in speaking about the incarnation, to try to figure out how it applies, our understanding becomes very limited. And our application, I believe, will be short-sighted. It's the same as looking at the finished picture on the outside of the box and then struggling to try to build the Lego set perfectly. You have to start at the beginning. You have to be willing to build from the ground up. You have to be willing to build from the inside out. This means before we can really spend any time talking about how the incarnation should shape our lives, we have to spend time wrestling with why it even matters in the first place. Let's pray. God, be, uh, be with us this morning. You are God with us, and we thank you for that. Lord, and so our prayer may be, uh, 
is that we would be open to your presence in our lives. God, that for uh, a few minutes this morning, as we look at your scripture, Holy Spirit, convict our hearts. Give us understanding. Help us to see you. Help us to know you. Lord, as we wrestle with the idea of you coming to earth and why it matters, we pray that our minds and our hearts would be open to a deeper understanding, God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So to the book of John. Uh, as one of the gospel authors, John gets, out the, gets at the what of the incarnation early in his gospel account. So if we turn to that first chapter, it's called the prologue. This is what John writes. And it, this is uh, 18 verses, so it's a little bit longer, but I think it's important. Uh, and if it helps you to follow along, follow along. If it helps you just to close your eyes and hear these words, do that. But this is what John says, John 1, 1, 18, 1 through 18. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. But from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, I know churches spend months and months studying these 18 verses, going step by step, word by word, breaking down the meanings of these 18 verses. You could spend weeks, months studying this stuff. There is enough substance in these 18 verses uh, to give that credence. But I want us to focus on the bigger picture, the bigger narrative of what is going on here. You will notice the prologue opens with in the beginning. This is important in the fact that the incarnation is deeply, deeply connected to the beginning of it all. You see, the word was the creative force of all things. The life given to all things was given through the word. And we see God step back in Genesis 
and give survey over the creation and come to the conclusion that, yes, it is very good. But shortly after, we see the entire plan come to a screeching halt and it implodes. The serpent is listened to. The fruit is eaten. Adam and Eve realize they are naked and they begin to try to hide from God. God, the scripture says, as he is walking in the garden in the cool of the day, calls out to Adam and Eve, asking, where are you? And we pause here for a moment. This seems to be maybe the same call that God sometimes calls out to each of us. And when he calls that out, where are you, it becomes clear what has transpired. It's at this point that God offers the prophetic statement about the incarnation. We're not going to look at it. We, uh, I actually spoke about it three or four weeks ago during Advent. It's the one that assured the defeat of evil will be established when the Christ child is born into humanity. And this prophecy is not just a prediction. It's actually hope for the future. It's the first indication we get about God's plan for restoration to his original intent. And so as we move through the Old Testament, all the underlying uh, and familiar Old Testament stories of the Bible, Noah's Ark, Abraham's journey, Moses' exodus, David's kingdom, Elijah's miracles, Daniel's dreams, it's a story of God's determination to recover all things. Then the story of God's mission to restore to his original goodness reaches its climax in the coming Messiah, the seed of the woman who would bruise the serpent's head and recover all things, restore all things. We go back to John. He goes back to speak about John's testimony to the true light came to the very world in which it made, and yet the true light was not known, not even known by his own people. But to all who did receive him, they were able to enter the family of God. This is where I think the incarnation is a little bit like the movie Independence Day. How many people have seen the movie Independence Day? One of 1996's greatest movies. <laughs> so my favorite kind of movies are that in which uh, someone, that the protagonist, the, the, the main character, has to somehow infiltrate the system in order to change it, has to go into the system to change it. There is something about the plot of these types of movies that I just absolutely love. They resonate with me. So you think like uh, the Bourne trilogy or the Matrix or Mission Impossible, where these characters have to somehow get back to the place they were exiled or, or, or the, uh, the organization that they were kicked out of to somehow infiltrate it to then make the great dramatic change in the end, I love the excitement of watching the characters develop and go through all that they have to go through in order to infiltrate the other side. It's compelling to me. This is the story of ID4. That's what we called it when we watched it in 1996, but Independence Day. After Earth, I'm going to give you, for those of you who have not seen it, let me tell you a little bit about it. After Earth is invaded, the government tries a number of different military tactics to fight, but to no avail. The only way to defeat the alien race is to infiltrate the mothership, plant a computer virus from the inside, and so Captain Stephen Hiller and David Levinson learn how to fly one of the small remaining aircraft 
into space, board the mothership, hack into their technology, plant the virus from the inside, and then blow it up with a nuclear bomb. (laughs) I actually watched this movie on Friday night. (laughs) The only way to defeat the aliens was from the inside. Now, some people say that this movie is loosely based on the Incarnation. Nobody has actually ever said that. (laughs) Uh, But maybe there are some parallels here. You see, in order for things to actually change, they needed to be changed from within. John testifies to the fact that the true light of men was to come. And that the reason the true light was to come was was to restore relationship between humanity and God. Now, God, being all-powerful and omniscient beyond time, he could operate in any way that he sees fit. But John 14 through 18 paints a pretty clear picture of what he chose to do. He chose to enter the continually unfolding drama of humanity. The word who was with God, who created all things, was sent to step into the mess of our lives, feel the pain and the joy and the sorrow and the struggle and the excitement of being a human being. This was the only way for us to truly know God. It was if God came to live as one of us. Reuben P. Jobs says this, New discoveries about the universe seem to emerge every day. Telescopes in space enable us to see into the created order farther and more clearly than ever before. But even with all of this marvelous technology, we have not been able to chart the boundaries of creation. And even if we could, the idea of a created order, many billions of light years in depth, is too much for us to comprehend. So how can we comprehend the one whom we call the creator. Clearly, an infinite God has a communication problem with finite humankind. Christians find the answer to that problem in Jesus Christ. The mystery of this magnificent universe finds resolution in the mystery of the birth in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ came and was clothed in human flesh to let us know who God is and what God is really like. In Jesus Christ, we see that God is approachable and to a degree knowable by creatures like us. God can understand our condition because God has made us. We can know God because God has been revealed in Jesus Christ. He chose to come close so that we could know him. And in knowing him, we can be restored. Full restoration could not come from God just working at a distance. It would be hard for us to understand, to associate, to know something that's infinite in that way. And so the word, now fully man, was given, sent on another mission of creation. However, this time it was the creation of restored relationship through grace and mercy. This is the what of the incarnation. The what of incarnation is restoration. God came to bore our flesh 
so that relationship could be restored. The beauty of the Incarnation and why we believe it's the defeat of evil is that in Christ's coming, we are able to have life. The life that John says was in him. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is a statement of incarnational victory. We do not have to wait until the cross to experience life as it was meant. Jesus says this in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. A few chapters later, in a moment of prayer, in his final message to the disciples, before he is led to the cross, he makes this statement. Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, from whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, the work was accomplished in the incarnation, and the cross and the resurrection were the glorification and culmination of the plan. At its core, salvation is about restoration, Salvation is not something that we have to wait to wait for until eternity. Salvation or restoration to God's original intent is something that can be experienced by knowing Jesus Christ because he came. Because he was sent as one of us for all of us. John Wesley says this, By salvation I mean not barely, according to the vulgar notion, deliverance from hell or going to heaven, but present deliverance from sin, a restoration of the soul to primitive health, its original purity, a recovery of the divine nature, the renewal of our souls after the image of God is righteousness and true holiness and justice and mercy and truth. This is what we see when we look at the incarnation for what it is rather than how it applies. You see, the incarnation isn't just a new set of things we have to do. It's actually the ability for us to be restored. Restored to the way that God always intended it. C.S. Lewis kind of fam- uh, famously tells this story, and I'll, uh, I'll read it because I think it's uh, maybe a good metaphor for us to finally understand this. He says this, Imagine yourself as living in a house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense to you. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. 
Here's where this metaphor speaks about the incarnation. God, in his infinite wisdom and power, could just simply build that house from afar. He could say the words and the house would be built. But instead, he comes down, he puts on the tool belt, he spends the time working. He chooses to restore the house we already have because he knows that change can only come from within. In the beginning, God, through the word, created everything, and everything that had life had it through him. But it was derailed by the deceiver. And so, when he could have abandoned it, when he could have gone and created something completely different, God chose to restore that once broken relationship. God's plan is not to abandon this world, the world in which he says is very good. Rather, he intends to remake it. And when he does, he will raise up all his people to new bodily life, to live in it. That is the promise of the Christian gospel. And T. Wright speaks those words. God was not about to abandon us, nor would he try to change the reality from a clinical distance. He entered the reality to change it from within. This has to be our foundational understanding of the incarnation. You see, if we simply look at the outside picture of the box, the finished picture, then we'll find ourselves endlessly trying to do all the things that we see Jesus do, praying and feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and healing the sick. And we'll be able to copy a lot of those things. But we will grow weary. We will grow tired. I contend we'll eventually give up if we don't have a foundational understanding of why we're doing these things in the first place. This is what happens when we look past the what of the incarnation to try to just find how it applies to our lives. We need to understand that the what is God's plan for restoration. My hope and prayer is that this week, as we continue to study the Incarnation for the following months, we continually remind ourselves, God came to restore. God came to reconcile. That is why Jesus came. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, Lord, we uh, admit that sometimes we get so busy doing stuff in your name that we forget why. We forget what it actually means. We forget that... Um, you don't always ask us just to do stuff, but sometimes you ask us to be. My hope, Lord, is that in looking at the reason why and the reason what for the incarnation, that we can just be. We can find peace in the restoration that you offer. We can find hope in the restoration that you offer. 
we can find joy in the reality that you came to experience life as we experience it, to change it from inside. Spirit, thank you for this day. Thank you for the words that you speak to us through mornings like this. Continue to convict our hearts. Lord, continue to help us to know how to be the way you desire us to be and how to find peace in that. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Go and be dismissed today. Have a great week.